Good job, good job. Good job, guys. Good job. All right, so who are we talking about tonight? Moses. We're still talking about this guy, Moses. This is week nine of talking about Moses. Chapter 21. So if you remember where we left off last week, real fast review. Once again, the Lord sent and Moses went. So he was called to go and he was called to perform this miraculous sign. And that's, of course, exactly what happened. Once again, when Pharaoh was confronted with this miraculous sign, the Nile River turning to blood, he did his thing. He said, come here, my magicians, show them that you can do this. And so they were able to do something, all right? We don't know exactly what they're turning things to blood look like. What we do know is God's apparently lasted a lot longer than they, they, they clearly wanted. It lasted for seven days. And we were reminded that no matter what, yes, there's other powers, but God is greater than any of those powers out there. And that's kind of where we were left. And he, you know, he turned the, the Nile River uh, to blood. And I, when we looked at this, all right, the very end, the last thing, what, what the thing that we got left with is Pharaoh turned after, after God relinquished, after God had uh, turned the water back. Pharaoh turned, he went into his house, and he did not take this to heart. All the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they couldn't find, could not drink the water of the Nile, and seven full days passed. So there, there's your, there's your week long. And basically, we got this weird setup, right? And that's what I was trying to draw out for you, is that we have God, and he's got his guys. Moses and Aaron, he's got his people, the Israelites. And then we have Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is setting himself up in opposition to God. Pharaoh is saying, look, I'm God. I got my magician. I got my people. This is my nation. And this is a, a dangerous thing uh, that you see periodically throughout Scripture. And honestly, if you look around at this world, there are people today who would set themselves up in opposition against God. They would, it, it, I'm not talking about people that just reject God, but people that would make themselves God. Sometimes we can look in the mirror and see somebody that does that. Scary stuff. Scary stuff that, that, that we need to talk about today. So that is where we left off. We left off with the first plague, which was the Nile River turned to blood. We are going to pick things up. We are going to accelerate. So I'm going to read a lot of verses. I'm going to go through them real fast because we, we are about to drop the hammer down. Now just keep in mind, when we threw down the staff, Pharaoh said, I got some boys that can do that. When they turn down the river to blood, Pharaoh says, I got some boys. Well, let's see what happens here with the second plague. We pick it up, Exodus chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, and this is what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, I want you to go into Pharaoh. I want you to say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. 
So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts, and they made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So raise your hand if you like frogs. Yeah, they're delicious. No, I'm just kidding. It is true, incidentally. But you like frogs. I, I don't think you like frogs like they had frogs. Understand, if you go home tonight and you were to lay down in your cozy bed and your cozy bed was covered with frogs, you would not enjoy that. And when you opened up your fridge or your oven or your, you opened up your cabinet to get cereal in the morning for breakfast before you go to school, you don't want to see that kind of frogs. You don't want to go outside your door and not even know where to step because it's nothing but frogs. Especially if you love frogs, what are you going to do? You don't want to drive down the road. Do you understand the scene that we are getting here? This isn't like, oh look, there's a frog. God says, I am going to plague this land with frogs. And uh, once again, Pharaoh says, oh yeah, I, I got some guys, I got some guys, and my guys can, can bring out some frogs too. Which is funny because, you know, God's pun he, he's pouring out his wrath and he's saying, look, my guys can give some wrath to us too. It's kind of dumb. But, we'll pick it up, Exodus chapter 8, verses 8 through 15. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people. So just pause right there. The same Pharaoh who said, oh, I got some guys that can do that, is now begging, begging Moses and Aaron, you plead to your God, please take them away. In other words, yep, your guys could do something, but you couldn't do this. Not really. God's more powerful. We've seen this with the Nile River that lasted a lot longer than they anticipated. This wasn't a momentary thing. This frog thing, yeah, that's cute. I got a guy that can do that. The cuteness wore off real fast. Plead with the Lord. Take away the frogs from me and from my people. And, listen, he's making promises, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people. In other words, you give me the time, Pharaoh, and I'll say this prayer. You tell me what time, all right, and uh, that the frogs can be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. All right, so understand. He said, oh, you tell me when you, you want them gone tomorrow so that you'll know that the Lord my God did this. All right, that's what he said. Now Moses said, be it as you say so that you may know there's no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they will only be left in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and in the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. 
You guys ever had to, raise your hand if you had to uh, do the, the whole dissection thing for the frogs. Yeah. yeah, doesn't that smell great? That's a great smell, isn't it? Uh, they stink. And that, the formaldehyde actually makes them smell better than what they would without the formaldehyde, which makes it even grosser. And when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, though, listen, he hardened his heart. Didn't say the Lord hardened his heart this time. No, 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 no. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And he would not listen to them, just like the Lord said would happen. So isn't it interesting? So, so, so Pharaoh makes some promises. He goes from looking like the, you know, I'm the God to, uh, please take away the frogs. I'm done with frogs. He's, he's had enough, and he makes promises. He says, if you will plead to your God to take away the frogs, then I will let you go. And what I want you to understand here is you guys remember, God has made some statements. He's made some promises. He said some things would happen. And every time God says it's going to happen, every time God makes a promise, it's exactly what comes to pass. Pharaoh, though, he's going to make some promises. I'll let you guys go if you do this. But Pharaoh's different. He does not fulfill his promise. So God does his thing. And, oh, yeah, there's piles of stinking dead frogs. Isn't it crazy the stuff you can find on the internet? Somebody actually had a picture. Um, but once again, hard-hearted Pharaoh does not let him go. He is not like the Lord our God. He does not keep his word. He is a liar. He identifies himself as such. And there is plague two. Now we're going to go to the third plague. Because, you know, two plagues wasn't enough for a guy with a heart that hard. We have to have three. We'll pick it up. Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 through 19. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff, and you strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats. How ironic is that? The frogs eat the gnats. You know that. Now all the frogs are dead except for the ones in the Nile, and now the gnats are going to come. God says, watch this so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. You guys like gnats? And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff. He struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. Gnats. A gnat is a teensy, teensy, tiny fly. They're what you breathe when you're riding your bike in the summertime in the wrong place and your mouth's open. Those are gnats, all right? He struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. And matter of fact, all the dust of the earth. I want you to picture what I just said there. Have you been outside? Have you seen dust? Have you walked to the beach and seen the grains of sand on the seashore? Do you understand what he's saying? All of the dust on the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats. In other words, Pharaoh once again said, oh, you guys can do that. Let me call my boys, and they'll do it too. I'll show you who's boss. But they could not. There's a change here. So there were gnats on man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, this is the finger of God. But... Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he wouldn't listen to them. He wouldn't listen to Aaron and Moses. He ain't going to listen to his magicians anymore either. I ain't going to listen to them. 
And uh, yeah, once again, just as the Lord had said. So, you know, we picture these gnats. Uh, if you guys, I, I remember I took uh, Carter years ago when he was like seven or eight. And we went down to this awesome place in Licking, Missouri, uh, that it was like one of the founders of the Missouri Department of Conservation had this place and it had a couple cabins that they rented out. This beautiful spring-fed lake. It was awesome. But when we were there, it was the bug hatch. And it was amazing, but completely not comfortable. And if you've been to like Michigan or Minnesota or the Boundary Waters or Wisconsin, or you go to Maine in certain parts of the year when the, the flies are hatching, it's a whole thing, man. You can't hardly, you better keep your mouth closed and breathe through your nose because you're going to suck them suckers in. And this is even worse than that. I know everybody wants to ask. We'll get at the end of, end of service, end of service. All right? Mats everywhere. Gnats, gnats, gnats. And again, Pharaoh calls his magicians, but his magicians at this point say, I got nothing. I don't know why they can call up frogs, but they can't call up gnats. But that's the way it works in the cosmos. And they're unable to do it. They just simply cannot reproduce what God is doing. And they try very carefully. Here it is, Exodus 8:19. The magician said, look, you are dealing with something much greater than us. This is the finger of God. This is essentially the magician saying, and I quote, this is out of my league, all right? This, this is a little bigger than what we're capable of. I don't know who you're dealing with here. I'm pretty sure it's God. I'm out, all right? But again, Pharaoh doesn't listen. So if three plagues were not enough, what do you think will happen? The fourth plague. You guys are so smart. I love that. So we'll just jump right into that. Exodus chapter 8. Verses 20 through 24. And the Lord said to Moses, You rise up early in the morning and you present yourself to Pharaoh. As he goes out to the water, you say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies. We're not talking gnats now. You ever, you ever been bit by a horsefly? You ever been bit by a housefly? It is not exactly pleasant. All right? Uh, the houses of the Egyptians are going to be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell. The land of Goshen was that sweet piece of property that Joseph, when he was, they got to move all the Israelites to the land of Goshen. He says, look, uh, where my people dwell, there's not going to be any swarms of flies. And you'll know then that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division. I'm going to separate between my people and your people. And tomorrow this sign is going to happen. And the Lord did so. He's not like Pharaoh. Pharaoh says he's going to do something and does it. God says he's going to do something and he does. The Lord did so. 
there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by swarms of flies. That is strong language. Ruined by swarms of flies. That's because this is not a picture from there. It was worse. Do you understand? <laughs> it was worse. It was worse. God sends his swarm, but he doesn't just send the flies. I want you to notice, again, there's a little variation here, and I want you to catch it. God says, I'm going to create a separation here. I'm not going to treat everyone the same. I love that Johnny Cash song. He don't treat everybody the same. That wasn't a boy named Sue. It was the man coming to town. We could talk about that. That's, a no, that's for the uh, Becoming Men sermon series. That is not for this one. Um, we'll, we'll save that. He says, everybody won't be treated all the same. Right here, God is not treating everybody the same. He says, look, I'm going to draw a line between my people and your people. And it's going to be really obvious that I am the Lord the God. And, and, and it, it poses this idea, and I want you to grab hold of it. There's this word, all right? There is this word that God uses in his word to describe him, okay? And it's a word that should, as Christians, as Christ followers, as image bearers of God, describe us. Not to the same degree as it describes God, because all we're doing is barely reflecting something of him. But he, that word is holy. You guys have heard that word. I'm sure you have. We've sung it. It's a nice churchy word. All right? Most of you have no idea what the heck that word actually means. It is the Hebrew word, Kadesh. And what it means is apartness, holiness, sacredness, separateness. So when Jesus says you should be live in this world but not be of this world, what he's saying is what he said in the Old Testament. You should be a holy people, separate, set aside. You should look different than them. I'm making a distinction. God says, I am holy. I am perfect. I am, I am not like you. All right? I'm calling you to be more like me, which means you're not going to be like Pharaoh. Okay, you're to, to pull away, to look different. Your life should look different. I know, you couldn't help it. I'll play along, it's all right. So I want that idea introduced because, again, we're, we're building to something here and you need to catch it. God is calling us to holiness and he's saying, look, I'll set aside my people from your people. Exodus 8, 25-32. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron, and he said, I want you to go sacrifice to your God within the land. In other words, God says, I'm going to take him to this other land, and I want him to sacrifice. Pharaoh's like, well, look, let's have a compromise. I'll let your people go. They can sacrifice, but they got to sacrifice here. And Moses said, um, no. Nah. It wouldn't be the right thing to do for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings that are abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, won't they stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. 
So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go far, far away. Plead for me. So here he is again. He's saying, all right, I'll let you go. Plead for me before God. And Moses said, all right, I'm going to go out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies will depart from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people tomorrow. In other words, again, he's saying, tomorrow. <laughs> on, my, on his clock, not, not yours. But you'll know, I said tomorrow, so when it happens tomorrow, you'll know God did this. All right? Only let not Pharaoh, again, cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh. He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked. And he removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. And once again, he did not let the people go. We'll get there. So here's all old proud Pharaoh. And once again, take away the flies. He begged him to take away the frogs. He's begging him, take away the flies. If you have been bit by, who raise your hand. Who, has, who here has been bit by a horsefly? How wonderful a feeling is that? Would you like to be covered from head to toe with horseflies? Can you imagine? This is a terrible situation. He's begging, but again, he makes these promises that he does not intend to fulfill. And this time again, he hardens his own heart and says, Nah, now nah, the flies are gone. I refuse to let you go. So if four, if four plagues does not work, what do you think is going to happen now? A fifth plague. Man, you guys are... Guys. The fifth plague. Let's pick it up. Exodus chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. The Lord said to Moses, I want you to go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go, and you still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, on the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. And again, but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, again, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. He says it, he does it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. And still, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he would not let the people go. So God says, look, I am going to kill all the livestock. Now you understand that this was an agrarian society. This society was built, I mean, yes, amazing buildings and 
crazy art for their time and all this language, but you've got to understand their life was built on farming. Their life was built around livestock. He kills it all. Everything is dead. Everything. And once again, it's not just Scripture that tells us about this event. If you guys remember last week, we talked about the, the Ipawar Papyrus, 1400 B.C., written about the same time as all these events. And we get this from the Ipawar Papyrus. All animals, their hearts weep. Cattle moan. What's left, is, there's none to gather them together. Their news report, things are not well with the livestock. And once again, God says there's a distinction. I'm going to kill, I'm not, I'm not going to punish my people as far as that goes. I've got a really good plan for my little nation over here. They're going to need their livestock. But everything you have is dead. And he draws a line in the sand and he says look you're either with me or you're against me and if you're against me Pharaoh and you're against me there are consequences there are real consequences death is coming there's going to be hell to pay do you understand what God is saying he is drawing the line and he is saying look I'm trying to tell you, and you keep not listening to me. And it got me to thinking, this idea of God drawing a line, God separating. And you think, wow, man, that God of the Old Testament is something. It's the same God. I want you to catch this. This is Jesus talking. You guys know about this guy, Jesus? Everybody loves Jesus. Jesus love. Jesus loves me. This I know. Jesus is kind and Jesus is sweet and Jesus is just. And Jesus, Jesus will do some separating. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. In other words, there's a day that's coming when Jesus is coming back. Right now he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for his children. But there is a day when he is returning. It is the last day. It is a great day. It is a terrible day if you don't know Jesus. And when he comes back and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people, one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, and you inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, 
and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is going to look at his children and his sheep. And if you remember the great commandment, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and that you will love other people as yourself. That's what Jesus says. And then he gives this list. This, it's, just, it's not like an all-inclusive list, but what he's saying is, you who loved me and loved my people, you come with me to a place I prepared for you. It's a great place. Love that you're here. And they're confused. When did I do that? You love my people. That's all I've asked you to do. I want you to get it. Then, though, here's our separation. He's going to say to those on his left, you depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. You did not love me or my people. There's no do-overs. Nobody's going to be able to fake it. You get what I'm saying? We tend to fake stuff. I look good. I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. We're really good at saying, we're good at wearing masks. There's no masks. Do you understand? You're not going to be like, I was just kidding, Jesus. Nope. The time to make decisions is done. This is it. He says, you didn't love my people? You got a different thing. And he'll, they'll, they'll answer. Uh, in other words, excuses. Lord, when did we see you? Or hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison didn't minister? And he'll answer, truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And as God is drawing a distinction between Israel and Egypt, He is giving us a picture of another time when He is going to separate. This is serious business. God is not playing around. He is not playing. He's not playing with Pharaoh. We're going to see exactly what happens. You can kind of already smell what's coming, right? What I, I love laying. When's this guy going to learn? He's not. You want to know what the truth? We live in a world full of hard-headed people that aren't going to learn. God gives them all kinds of incentives to learn, but they just they don't learn. They're just like Pharaohs. We're a whole world full of Pharaohs. What does Moses' story tell me about God? Well, I parried down the list so that we can kind of get through this faster. A, God is in control. He has absolute authority over his creation. If he wants there to be frogs, there'll be frogs. If he wants gnats, there's gnats, there's flies. You want all the livestock dead, man, he can split them. He's in control. Understand, God is in control. He has the authority to make promises and the power to fulfill them. And he does. If he makes a promise, he fulfills it. So when God says, Look, this time tomorrow, here they come. This time tomorrow, here they come. And when Jesus says, I have gone to prepare a place for you, he means it. 
I don't have to wonder. When Jesus says, I am with you through the good times and the bad, that I'm working all things for good for those called according to my purpose, I don't have to wonder. What God says, that's what he does. While there may be other forces that exist, God's power is over them all. Those magicians finally had to say, I'm out. I'm not, this, this is, this is, nope, not for me. And what's hilarious is you'll see some stuff in Scripture time and time again where it's supernatural type stuff, events, and eventually those people say, nope, I'm good now, I've had enough. God is in control. And God does draw a line in the sand. Do you understand me? He'll invite everybody on his side of the line. But you need to understand there is a line, and if you choose not to cross that line, if you choose to stay over there doing your own thing, you're not in a very good spot. He draws a line in the sand. He is making a distinction between his children and those who have rejected them. You realize, I don't know if you know this, you know, because we all use this phrase, we're all children of God. That is not what Jesus says. Jesus says there are children of God, but then he looks at Pharisees, these guys that were excellent ruler followers, but had no love, and he says, you children of the devil? He doesn't say, you don't have my father. If you had my father, you'd act like me. You are not children of God. There are people in this world that are not children of God. They can be. The invitation is there, but they choose not to come across that line. There is a line. There is a line. By the grace of God, we've crossed that line. I hope you've crossed that line, that you're on his side, because there's a problem if we're not. On the last day, God is going to call his children home. I can't wait. When Jesus comes, I can't. I have no idea how I'll respond. I may spontaneously explode in joy. I told you he's real. Like, I can't wait. I have no clue, but I can't wait. But for those that didn't step across that line, that did not respond to God's call, they're going to have a whole different thing. Revelation talks about guys trying to hide under mountains, trying to hide, hide, hide from him. Not going to be able to hide. No do-overs. He's going to bring eternal condemnation to those who would reject him. End of story. There's no do-overs. Pharaoh's not going to get a do-over. He's digging him a hole. And we live in a world full of pharaohs digging holes. So what's the point? Why does that matter? A, God is faithful to carry out the plans he has for our lives now and the life yet to come. Whatever that looks like. He's got a plan and he's going to carry it out. We talked about uh, Romans 9. We're all glorifying God. Even Pharaoh's going to glorify God. Here we are still talking about these amazing things that God did to Pharaoh. God's getting glorified as we're talking about him, even though that's not how we want to talk about us. You wouldn't want this, like, a hundred million years from now, you wouldn't want to be like the Pharaoh in the story, right? You don't want to be that guy. You don't, you, some of you know where this is going. You don't want to be that guy. But understand, he's glorifying God. That's a scary way to do it, though. God knows everything that's going to happen. He knows every choice we'll ever make. It isn't that he doesn't. He gives us choice. We have, we have choices that we get to make. 
But he knows all of them. He's not surprised by them. It ain't like he's just sitting around saying, boy, I wonder what Teddy's going to do today. That's not it. If that's your picture of God, that, that he's responsive and he's, he's, oh, I don't know what's going to, no, no, no. That's not it. He knows. He knows everybody that's going to confess him as Lord. He knows everybody that's going to reject him. He's prepared a place for both. He's not surprised by anything. He is ahead, behind, with us in the moment, and he is absolutely ordering our steps to accomplish his will in our lives. God exists outside the limitations of the natural world. We talked about this last week. And as such, he can do things beyond the limitations that he established. He lives outside of that. He's not confined by it. All right? It's, it's part of the miracle of the incarnation is that the God who exists outside of it actually stepped into it for a brief period of time. That is a, a crazy thing to kind of wrap your mind around. You understand, the guy that drove the nail into Jesus' hands, the guys that stood him up on the cross, he made those guys. He gave them their muscles to do that. He gave them their disposition, the kind of disposition, you've got to have a certain disposition, I think, to nail spikes into somebody's hand. He built those guys, custom-made them to do that job. And then he stepped in and, and, and went ahead and did that. It is a, a baffling thing, man. This God that we are dealing with is, he's something. But he lives outside. He did step inside once for us, though. It's crazy. Last God is holy. He's holy. He is separate. He's not like us. We are more like Pharaoh. How many people in here broke a promise? Tell the truth. If one person doesn't raise their hand, I'm throwing something at you. You better duck. We all are more like Pharaoh. We all say stuff that we don't do. And I'm not saying, sometimes that ain't even a malicious thing. I can be like, Maybe I'm getting up in a minute to get you a sandwich, and it could be three minutes later, four minutes, five minutes. Oh, I forgot about it. No, I'm not malicious, but I'm not God, am I? I didn't do what I said I would do. God always does what he says he's going to do. He is holy. He is perfect. He is different. But I am called to reflect him to one degree or another as a Christian. Wish it was a little cleaner reflection, to be honest. I'm sure most of us in here that have been walking with Christ for a while feel that same way. I wish it was a little, little better. He calls us to be holy, and if, if we were to reject that, if we were, he says, come over here. I want you to separate. Come across the line. Do you understand? He's calling you to holiness. He's, he's more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. Lots of things can make us circumstantially happy. All right? God is much more concerned with what is actually going on in our heart. Now. <clears throat> oh, goodness. I'm going to read this to you. It got sent to me. And it just, it just goes so well with this. But this is not an easy thing to hear. But I want you to hear it because it's true. All right? I want you to hear it because it's true. And I want you to think about it. I want you to chew on this for a little bit here. As we Christians advance in life, this is for us old folks, at, at first. It'll get to you, I promise. 
and know more of human nature and the power of temptation, the greater interest we should take in the young, and the more urgently should we seek their salvation. It is a lovely sight to see aged Christians endeavoring to bring young people to the Savior. We've got some awesome people in this room. And we ought constantly to see, for they know the power of youthful lust and the world's attractions of satanic influences and the deceitfulness of the heart and the value of the immortal soul. Aged friends, do you feel and act as you should for the young? Do you do all that you can to snatch them as brands from the burning? Solomon was an old man when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And in that book, he manifests great solicitude for the young. Again and again, he addresses them in different ways. But with what touching and subtle irony does he speak to them in one place? Be happy, young man, while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever you see... But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. The youth's practice. He is happy in his youth, in his physical vigor, personal attractions, and newly acquired liberty, feeling strong. He puts the day of judgment far from him. Vain of his person, he is proud of his appearance and abilities. Freed from the restraints of home, he removes the reins from the neck of his lust. His heart cheers him on and urges him forward in the pursuit of folly. He walks in the way of his heart, which is always evil. He is ignorant of its powers of deception. He is therefore deceived by the corrupt principles that work within it. He hushes his conscience to sleep or by violence constrains it to be silent. He then yields to the alluring influence of the world, and while so doing, Satan tempts him to proceed further and further, plotting his eternal damnation. He does what he thinks is best in his own eyes, all owing them to mislead him. He walks by sight, not according to God's word. He is led away by appearances and despises the counsel and example of the godly. He refuses to listen to or be guided by the advice of parents. He despises or slights the preacher's admonition and will be a law unto himself. He chooses vain people for his companions and follows the example of the foolish. Let us now listen to the preacher's prescription. Be happy, young man, while you're young, and let your heart give your joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Take your own course if you are determined. In other words, don't come across that line if that's what you're determined to do. Go on the way you prefer if you think it's best. Persevere in the path you've chosen, but know that there is an end to your course. And that end is judgment. The judgment day is fixed, and it is certain. The judge stands at the door, and it is therefore near. The dead and small and great shall stand before God. It is therefore universal, 
Every one of us shall give account of himself before God. It is therefore personal. Before this final judgment shall be gathered all nations. It will therefore be open and public. What you do in the dark will be proclaimed from the rooftops. There's nothing you're doing that's secretive. Nothing. God will judge in justice and uprightness. It will therefore be righteous. It will be a great day, the last day, and therefore be final. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. You will not be able to escape. You will not be overlooked or forgotten. You will not be personally summoned. You will be personally summoned, and there will be no evading. Death will arrest and cast you into prison. From thence, the angels will bring you out, and Jesus will judge you. For he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. Acts 17, 31. Young man, young woman, to you is this word of solid admonition sent. See how many young people are being carried away by death. You guys, you guys know, you guys are at school. You guys are just back at school. How many people do you know that are running in the opposite direction? Headlong into death. Headlong. You know it. Fatal diseases and accidents are common. We just lost Adam Beery. Sudden deaths are frequent. It is probable that God could soon call any of us in this room. How necessary then that we should be ready for death very often gives but a short notice or no notice at all. God warns you by his providence. He directs you by his word. He invites you by his ministers and he will judge you by his son. Whenever, therefore, you are tempted to indulge in an unholy amusement or practice, remember these words, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He's separating the sheep from the goats. My heart, the heart of every single leader in this room, Is there ain't a goat in this room? Not one. That when he drew the line in the sand, you say, Jesus, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. That you would live your lives differently, separate, holy. Yep, we're in this world, but we're in this world for a purpose, God's purpose. And that you'd find your story wrapped up in that. We've got some awesome young people who are finding their story wrapped up in that, wrapped up in him. Keep running after him. Because the rest of the world is running headlong to the grave. And there's no do-overs. It won't be funny. It isn't going to be a joke. He's not the Jesus that you see on the Christmas card. C.S. Lewis is right. He's a, he's a good, he's, he's good, but he's dangerous. He is to be feared. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your love, your faithfulness. Thank you. Way back here, it's funny, we're, we're 1,400 years, 2,000 years plus uh, away from Jesus, and here you are given us a picture of the end of time. 
a time that, nope, we haven't got there yet, Lord, but every single day we're closer, that's for sure. We have no idea whether you're coming back tomorrow or next week or next year or 50 years from now or 100 years from now. We don't know. But based on what we see in the world around us, Lord, you're, you're coming back soon. We don't know when you're calling us home. No clue. We had no clue the week before we, we lost Adam that that was the last week we were going to see him. We had no clue. We are grateful, though, that he had made that decision, that he crossed that line, that he accepted that call. He heard your voice, and he responded. And he's gone to a place that you had prepared before him, Father. And I just pray for each and every person in this room that they will have made that same decision, that they will have picked their side before it's too late. There's no do-overs. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your example. Lord, help us to be a whole lot more like Moses and Aaron than we ever are like Pharaoh. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.